0: Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. I'm there for the pack out. You just got to pack me in committed to the bow early on like i love getting close and putting up you cover a range of stuff on here too right like we call this the uh the thp world headquarters you know my grandpa roy weatherby he... i came into like that golden little pocket where there was like four or five different bowls just you're canadian we're well, doing uh, a canadian
1: podcast my name's Douglas
0: i'm robbie denning world Candid- so you got your florida done eh pete yeah I'm actually eyeing up my shooting range right now. i just got to see what I got to move today so I can shoot inside tomorrow. <laughs> Is it still cold there? It's getting warmer. I could actually shoot outside, but where I shoot, I haven't had enough time to clear the snow out of that area. So it's, it just wouldn't be enjoyable to go shooting it right now to I kind of clear my path and can set my target up. But I'll get that done in the next couple of days at work.
2: We're not cold anymore. We're just getting fucking hammered with snow.
0: It's, yeah, like, I think they're kind of worried about the freezing rain here. It's uh, it's it's flipping over in the next couple days here. It's getting real close to zero, and then I think we're at plus three or four. I don't know about you guys. Or... What about you, Derek? You're getting, like, you guys. Your it's bearable over. now. Is it's it?
1: bearable. It's been, been honestly trying to escape the cold. It was minus 38 yeah. for, like, a week straight and just wreaking havoc on everything. And then now... Yeah. warmed up and now the snow is coming in like crazy and it's just a mess now so but
0: yeah where where are you exactly
1: uh southern alberta left bridge area okay yeah yeah yeah, in that area and it's just we're just like a wind tunnel like pincher creek the wind comes through the southwest in there and it's just it's always crazy storms and yeah but it's been it's been really really cold really really cold abnormally cold it was kind of shockingly cold it was like 10 15 degrees and it went right to minus 38
0: yep oh, i hear you we got the same thing you guys usually get the worst weather because usually what comes south of south of us we usually get missed by like the big stuff yeah. and it, you i think it heads straight toward you guys
1: yeah it hits the mountains and we'll get like the chinooks where even in like a uh, afternoon you'll get 20 20 degree what like Temperature changes swings, hey, like you'll go from extremely cold to 15, 20 degrees and high, high wind, like 30, 40 meters. Yeah, it's pretty bad.
2: Yeah, everyone's getting hammered, even the guys south of us, they're getting hammered with snow and cold weather. So uh, we're not alone in it anyway. I, I was talking to our friend of the show, Paul McCartney, a couple of days ago. He's up in the Yukon. Oh, yeah, we don't have it that bad. <laughs> No. We're not we're not hitting dash anywhere dash 40s dash 50s. So we're uh we're not doing too bad here. <laughs> That's a whole other beast up there. That's gross. Yeah, so Derek, last time you were on the show, I think when was it in November or October? We were talking uh, about elk. was I think it was
1: October maybe. Yeah, cuz you
2: November. you had already gotten your elk. Yeah. And then you went on a moose hunt later in November. Was in November yeah. or December?
1: It would have been uh late november like 30 yeah yeah and you got a moose yeah
2: man let's hear about it
1: yeah it's uh it's it's one of those hunts that it's always a running gun it's up it's farther north you gotta drive a couple hours north of where we're at like it's not a southern alberta hunt those draws are just terrible they're getting to like 20 year draws now hey eh? So to increase the likelihood of just being drawn, my brother, my dad, my mom, everybody, the kids, my wife, we're all putting in for farther north. We just keep going farther and farther north and, uh, the draws are not terrible, but it's still a couple years, but we have the numbers now where we're pretty much going on the hunt and it's a pretty good hunt. Um, a lot of driving, a lot of covering distance it's not a very long season either it's like a late season draw a couple of days is all you got you only got three days to get her done eh?
0: well oh, no shit
1: yeah yeah so pretty stressful but um it's just one of those things where like the you gotta get in your head right away from the get-go what you're gonna take because you're probably only gonna get one chance at a decent one so if it's got paddles if it's in the 40s like you're not you're not going to find 50 60s like we shot 150 in 2015 in there but it's pretty tough like you start being picky my brother he's super picky he'll like oh no it's not big enough not big enough and by the end we're really having to work our asses off where you're like am I gonna have to total a truck driving like we're just driving like maniacs you have to drive all over the country and in there it's thick thick bush you got cut lines and basically that's the name of the game you are just get up in your glassing areas and you have your runs and you just kind of creep around. And, uh, we have a couple good areas. We had two tags, so that's even more stressful. <laughs> so we ended up getting two moose, two bulls, but uh very, very stressful, eh? Like just first bowl, we knew we were going to get one right away in the morning, the first day. And, uh, that's sure as shit. That's what we have seen. We'll always see one good one. And we have like kind of a little route that we go and, See bull, there's two of them together, uh, just you know standing off the road. And initially in that first morning, they don't really move. They'll just kind of look at you, hey. So the name of the game is cover as much area as you can. You can glass a little bit, but it's so thick in there, like you can barely. It's good for archery initially, like the first morning, and then after that, it's it's not good. Everything's running a million miles per hour, and um, first morning see two bulls out and it's just one of those things where they're just standing there looking at you and it's running gun, grabbing bow, got one in on broadside, fairly, fairly longer shot, like a 70 yard, 75 yard shot. And then uh, in that area, there's just, there's so much pressure, Hey, Like there's, it's a smaller zone. It's really thick. You kind of don't see too many people, but we've learned from past mistakes where guys will bump them where you can't wait on him so right away rush him get down on his level and he's hit hard he betted right away um and you have to like with moose like i've shot i've been a part of like 10 or 15 i think it'd be somewhere in there i don't even know it's 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 at least 12 or 13 bowls that we've taken together my brother my dad and, and his friend um 15 with gary's but uh I've shot, I think this is five or six bowls now that I've shot. Um, I think this is my sixth. But early on, we used to hit them hard and let them bed. And we've learned that you just that's just not good enough. Um, maybe in bigger areas you can do that, but we'll always have guys driving through, driving right beside the bowl. Like there's cut lines everywhere, but guys will kind of go off-road, and then all of a sudden there's a truck bumping your bowl and they're running off, and then you're having to track it. So We've kind of learned from that, like you got to get at least at least one really good vitals hit and then you got to rush them and get another one in them if you can. And I wish I had footage of it because I have my mom over my shoulder and like it's it's a must. It's a primitive weapons draw. So it's muzzler and you can shoot bow and arrow. And I, I, you know, I have my mom over my shoulder with a muzzler. I'm like, hey, like if this bull like charges me because we're going to be right on top of them. Like you don't don't waste time. She had a take too. My dad and I had a take, uh, and it's like don't waste time. Like put him down. And I come up on him, and I'm maybe, oh man, I think under ten yards. And he stands up, and he comes charging forward to me, and I shot him uh, frontal, right in the chest. Then backed off. He it. Took the fight right out of them, like, holy yeah. shit, these this guy's gonna come forward forward at me. Takes a couple of steps. So I shoot him right in the chest and I backed around and and I uh and, and this is where like I had because I've been shooting elk with this past year. I tried uh, typically I've been shooting all mechanicals and those Grim Reaper one and three-eighths cuts, uh razor cuts is one of my go-tos. But I was using those micro Hades on this guy, and uh I only had two more in my quiver cause I used them on my, uh, my bull elk earlier in the season. So I put one in his chest, put one well, broadside and then one in his chest. And then I'm like, holy crap, this guy's still, he's still alive. Like, holy shit. So I'm like, I'm guessing I'm gonna, we're gonna try out the mechanicals. And it really impressed me. It really did. I, I backed off, went right around him to kind of see a, a different vantage point, just to give him some space as he's bedded. And I, uh, Zip two more arrows through him broadside. That's and awesome. uh and to- like complete pass-throughs, like yeah. crazy. Like my dad was like, he's been like he had shot Mule Deer. He actually won a uh, cold owl fishing game Mule uh bow hunter of the year kind of deal for Mule Deer. Uh, but he just he shot a bought a bow shot a mule deer and then that was it he didn't he's like oh I get it like you know he shot it and uh, but he's (laughs) like I haven't seen like one of the new bows shoot something up close like holy shit pretty intense hey and just arrows went right through him one went sticking into into a tree behind him and then another was like buried in the dirt just wild so and then uh and then we had to scrounge up another bowl. Uh this this first bowl we got, he was a good bowl. He was uh in that mid, you know, the mid to upper 40s, like not quite 50, but um definitely a good bowl, especially with a bow. It's uh like I say, like that that draw is such a crap shoot. There's so much pressure. You have to be like dialed on fast, can't hesitate. Everybody hesitates. There's only a twenty two percent success rate in that season.
0: For that draw. How many tags are they giving out? I think it's only like
1: 25. It's not many. The success is all. So like basically, I'm not 100%, but we might have shot half the moose that were taken in that zone. Um, Only three or four will usually get get taken. eh? Um, Usually we'll take one of the better ones. We usually try and hold up for some with some paddles, especially now we're getting a little bit more picky about stuff. Um, Oh yeah. But uh, it's just trying to look and find those fifties is just, it's, it's all, it's not impossible, but they just don't get big, like up North, eh, like in Grand Prairie area, you'll see those bulls that are pushing 50. We've seen one, um, it was a pretty good bull. You would have been close to 50, but again, it's just, it's close. You just, and by, by the second day, like the morning, anything sees you, it's full tilt. They're running as fast as they can. It's, it's insane. And just people everywhere pushing bush, like getting real unorthodox with it. That was the first time I had seen people pushing bush in that area and dealing with that is just like a whole nother level because all the, yep. all the balls are just, they're running as fast as they can versus before, maybe you got a couple seconds hesitation. And in that season for bow and arrow, and there's a couple bow zones, but they were shut down by the second, uh, second day. So, um, It's just, it's just, it's a tough hunt. And people think it's, you go in there. Oh yeah, I'm going to get my ball. No problem. Um, And, and you see a lot of sad people by day three, they're getting worried. You see them around you go talking to them and they, even the the last bowl on the third day, last season that we shot, uh, my goodness. There was a guy who's driving way too fast and pulling U turns and crushing through bush and just crashing around. I was like, so
2: "Was it Pete looking for his?" <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. Sorry, buddy. I, I had to do it. I could it get gone. a little cheap shot in there. And it was good. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> so when you started, like I guess I kind of did this backwards. So you've been on the show. You started talking about your your hunt there. And I I guess I should have realized just to let the listeners know what's going on now is I was talking to Pete and I said, Pete, I'd like to cover a lot more stuff outside of British Columbia. Like Pete and I, we have a pretty good handle on like what's going on BC. And like, we figured the best way to get more knowledge and like, just talk about more stuff that's going on in Alberta and type and Saskatchewan type of thing, more like covering the Western Canada is to bring on another co-host. So um, it didn't take me very long to come up with uh, a guy for that position, and um, I'd like to welcome to the listeners. I'd like to welcome Corey as uh, the new co host. Thanks, yeah, nice um, to be on. One thing you said there that's really cool, and this is like going to be the cool thing about having um, having you on from another province is you said it's a primitive archery or a primitive weapons tag, yeah, so so like is that a specific like is that a harder draw easier draw to get when you're putting in for
1: these draws kind of it's not really now it's uh like it used to be and it's really it's not now it's comparable to what the rifle is it's just we know the area we know like it was it was an uh a, a easier draw but now it's like 11 12 years now um and that's what the rifle is now second season they have it tiered into seasons there's a couple other seasons like i was talking with one of my buddies nick and and there's some there's some other muzzleloader specific seasons instead of just bow and arrow it's just muzzleloader now so there is a couple more seasons like that starting to open up but uh, not many um it's it's still early on it seems like albert is still trying to figure out where that all fits in i wish there was a a muzzleloader season kind of because bow bow seasons like you got the early season and then once you get into like late October especially with elk it really winds down it gets kind of I wouldn't say impossible but it's it's all spot and stock and it just seems like maybe that'd be a good fit for for muzzleloader season I don't know um I know the guys in the states they kind of love that it just gives more opportunity for maybe more primary rifle guys to get involved in that earlier season kind of hunt and maybe they'll go into archery too but we still have a huge advantage with with bow and arrow like it's it goes September 1st all the way to October 25th so you hey, do have I, a long I, time that oh,
2: what I wouldn't <laughs> do our yeah. rifle season goes September 10th to October 20th <laughs> <laughs> which is insane okay and like I think it's Washington where you can actually pick your weapon. So like if you're gonna hunt with a, a bow and arrow. Now I don't know if they subcon like I don't know if they subcategorize that to like long- from like longbow traditional to compound. Mm-hmm. But then they have like a bow season, they have a muzzleloader season, and they have a regular rifle season. And like the length and duration of the season is based on the weapon you choose. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's Washington State that has that. But like that would be something cool. Like in, in BC, it's kind of just like clusterfuck. It's like well, we're not going to change anything. We're just going to keep it the same. Guys, put in for these LEHS, which haven't changed. You know, they might take take a few species, a few animals off the allocations that are given out. They don't really do anything. Like, they don't really do. They don't make any like hard changes or make any. They don't really mm-hmm. seem like they're doing anything for the wildlife. I don't know, but. It would definitely be cool if we could have like some archery draws. I know in like region, the region I'm in, 814, like with a mule deer, the northern part of 814 is a lot different from the southern part. So like they could break those up, put some of it on like an archery only tag, you know, even if that's an over-the-counter tag, right? Something like that, Mm -hmm. but they just don't. Like they just don't. Yeah. They have the resources, they just don't. They don't put the man hours and they don't put the funding into it.
1: Yeah, I should say too, it's in Alberta, it kind of is zone specific too. So they'll have like the mountain type zones. They'll have that as an earlier transition to rifle. I think it has to do with success rates that are driving that. Um, I kind of prefer honestly to be in that real thick stuff, just because I find the calling can be more effective. But in that, in those mountain areas, the calling is, it's very tough. I, I, did shoot a bull in there in 2018, had a couple really close calls too. And unless the bull is like the most obnoxious slam dunk, super aggressive bugling coming, running straight to you, they're almost impossible to kill. They go completely silent. They walk in silence just because the the intensity of the the mountain lion and grizzly bear population, it's crazy. I was calling, cold calling, on this one hill that I like, there's kind of a loop and it's, it's kind of an escape route for elk to see him kind of run up this saddle and come around. And so I'm just cold calling. And then I, and I got out of there and I look on the news and there's a guy on the other side of the hill, like literally like later on that afternoon, like a day after that got mauled by a bear, like pretty badly. And I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, man, like, maybe I yeah. should be switching the way I'm calling and making sure that I can see what's coming in a little bit better. And then that I actually backed out because I started calling and I was starting to get responses from wolves. Yeah. (laughs) Like, Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's just terrible in there. So, you know, I think that's, what's driving some of these. So in that zone, um, like in that 400, so like, that would be like, uh, Southern, like, uh, in the past and areas like that, like out by the mountains, there goes Pass area. That's it. It's, I, I believe it's September first uh, the 16th and then it's rifle oh yeah
2: yeah and and like when you get up into northern british columbia they have obviously you know when you're hunting sheep and stuff and like you get up into those areas goats i mean that is a little different than hunting mule deer down in region eight do you know what i mean so that's why i think they have to do a little bit more like obviously like in august you, you want to get in there earlier because the snow levels are you know the snow hasn't started yet so when you're going to hunt with a rifle just because of how hard it is but, and I feel like that, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's some zones for sheep, um, but like those regions, like those are, those are good. I just feel like down in the areas where they know, like where the mule deer are, you know, the numbers are, aren't very good, where they know they're struggling. I mean, down here. Yeah. I mean, we got wolves, grizzly bears, cougars, everything down in the areas. We hunt and I've done the same thing, right? Calling and called in wolves. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, I've seen molt, lots of grizzly bears, hunting you know in the northern part of region 8 where it gets really high in the mountains there and there's less road traffic but i mean i i just think like in bc they just need to look at like they need they need to almost like they could all break down the zones a little bit for me eight, like 814 is huge right like we mm-hmm. when you think of like the number of zones you guys have in alberta compared to the number of management units we have here way less here right and they're just bigger mm-hmm. giant zones whereas yeah. like Mm-hmm. There's a lot different going on in one end to the other, and it's like you have to look at it. You can't just look at eight fourteen and say, okay, it's open for mule deer, right? Yeah. Where you get a southern end where they're going to be struggling, you get up to the north, and they're you know they're not struggling as much. So, but it's easier to access down in the south. So guys just hammer the southern part, right? Mm-hmm. Right. More roads, less less mountains, less thick. But that's why the mule deer are doing better up there. But nobody hunts up there,
1: mm-hmm.
2: so they should make it so there's more you know give rifle opportunity. If they broke that, this region down a bit, this, Mm -hmm. this management unit down a bit, you know, and then gave a a longer rifle season to, you know, the Northern part of it, where it's harder to hunt, harder to access more deer.
1: Yeah. And and then stay to an archery only down the South. Yeah, exactly. And that's how, like, we do have some general zones that are archery. That's, that's the only general is like, you have to hunt bow and arrow Yeah, and that does help. But again, like even this past year the numbers of mature deer are down i'm not sure what's going on um in places where i've seen like multiple 180s like really outstanding genetics they just something's going on i don't know if it's predation or just tags just some of the primary areas have been hunting there's just that it's like there's an age class missing that that two to three year old is completely gone i don't see them i'll see juveniles i'll see maybe one or two shooters And you'll see they'll have some sort of genetic thing going on where they're abnormally wide, but they don't have any points. Uh, Like their forks are like crab clawed, like just and you can tell like oh the guides aren't going to shoot that, and people wait in five six years for a draw. They're not going to shoot that either. Yeah. So you know, or big threes. I've seen a couple really really big threes. Um, One really good buck. He was. Probably one of the widest bucks I've seen in a long time. He's, he was at least over 30 inches wide, even like 32, 33. Um, but again, bad genet, like bad gen quotations, bad genetics. You wonderful deer. Um, but just for those five, like you wait five, six years. And even in the zone where I work, like it's a 10 to 12 year mule deer draw. Like usually the minister draw uh, holder comes to that zone. I. <laughs> I didn't see a single deer over 180, not one really. And I've seen two, well, I've seen one that he looked like he had a 200 inch frame early on, but I only seen him briefly in, in some shade and that was it. So I don't know what's going on in Alberta for mature deer. I have talked to a couple of people, Kyle was sending out a post on his Instagram talking about how he hasn't seen any and, 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 you know, even some of my guide buddies, they're, they're seeing them, but they're having to work their asses off for them. Right.
2: Yeah, I just sent you a picture. Pete, I've already sent it to you, that one. that, So for the people listening, I'm going to put it up on the screen. I'll put up a clip so you can see this deer my brother sent it to me. And if you're listening and you want to see it, you're going to have to go over to YouTube and check it out. But um, yeah, this is a three-point he's seen. But this thing is just like the craziest wide thing I've ever seen. And he said the same thing. He's like, man, I'm not seeing, I'm seeing small bucks. And then like you occasionally hear stories or get a glimpse of like one really good buck. Yeah. And there's like nothing in between. Yeah, And so him and I were talking, and he's like, well, maybe there's two, you know, I know there's doe, they allocate, I want to say two doe tags, in the, where he is, and he's in up towards Red Deer, so he's north mm-hmm. of you. So, yeah, man, like, and I know, like, I was talking to Kyle, too, about that, um, just the number of tags, Figures so there's too many tags given out. I think um, so, too. And see so those are you're talking like leh tags right not over-the-counter tags so like how how does it work so like let's talk a little bit about so people in bc get an understanding of how it works in alberta so like i know where my brother hunts and this might be different from where you are but there's no open season or no there is a two-week rifle season for mule deer and the rest is archery Mm only. is it the same down there is that the same province wide or how does that work
1: uh so zone specific um so say if you draw a tag you can hunt the entire so say like uh foothills area you can or southern Alberta you can hunt the entire archery and rifle and usually it'll be like in the prairie zones it's usually pretty there's there's segments if it's very prairie like there's no cover for deer they'll have like Wednesday Thursday Friday Saturday you can only hunt on rifle and then you'll have where it's it's open on on archery and then some are only archery only general over the counter. And those, those are starting to get reduced too. It's dependent on numbers, right? And then they just did another uh, mule deer survey for the province to get people's input. Like, do they want hunting opportunity primarily? Do they want trophy quality to be the primary purpose of the management? So they kind of are trying to get some ideas of what people are looking for, because I think there's a lot of, there's, there's both spectrums, right? There's, I kind of would like to hunt more and try and find those more bucks, but, uh, but I'm passing up bucks that maybe people would just be slaying like crazy. Right. Like yeah, it, 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 that's, that's kind of the give and take of that. Right. Is that you do have to have some self-restraint if you want to see bigger yeah. deer in some of these areas, but so that's all they'll have. they will have draw zones where it's, it's strictly draw. So draw for archery and you get your opportunity on uh, rifle as well. And then they'll have sometimes where it'll still in that same zone, depending on the numbers will be like a two year draw for like mule deer does. And then there will also be, uh, some areas like some of the foothill areas where you can get a general mule deer tag, but you can only shoot does with your bow. Mm -hmm. So there there's, there is it, you'd really have to do your homework in Alberta, as far as what zone you're hunting, what opportunities. And then, and then go from there and and breed the regs, knowing knowing your, like your, your seasons open up. And and for anything that's like mule deer, there's mandatory surveys too for, for, for like bucks in, in draw zones. So say if you shoot a buck in a general, um, archery, you do have to report that in because it's a draw for rifle. Oh, I get you. Yeah, that makes sense. See,
2: now we do have the voluntary, like as a voluntary, survey that they they send out and now it's yeah. available online at uh on your bc hunting page so um man i had a question or you you were saying something there and it, now i totally forget about it but um quality over like quality opportunity over quality now yeah. i feel like british columbia is all opportunity over quality and they might th- get a little too far carried away where they're sacrificing too much opportunity where it's in, you know, I'm not going to say the word endangered, but it's really close to endangering, you know, the species. Cause like mule deer, let's face it. Like hunters aren't the number one killer, killer of mule deer. Okay. Like in BC, Alberta in BC specifically, it's highway deaths. They, they, you know, they far outweigh any deaths on mule deer. And then, you know, you get talking to the guys from, like, the Mule Deer Foundation, um, the people in Wyoming doing the study down there, and, like, Robert Denning and all these great, you know, these guys who spend a lot of time just, you know, they, they've they devoted their whole life around Mule Deer, and they say winter kill is the number one cause of Mule Deer death. So, like, yeah. you know, in Canada, if you take into consideration, like, road kill, winter deaths, but all those things have to be incorporated into the amount of tags that are allocated because like in BC, it's just a general open season that starts basically like in region eight. I'm just going to use that for an example. It is open from September 1st to September 9th, archery only, any buck. And then it opens from September 10th to November 10th. And in between there, there is some, it's a four point, antler restriction one side it does move over there is a month there where you can hunt any buck and this is with a rifle or bow i mean very little people after november september 9th i think pull out their bow very mm-hmm. little um but it's been like that for a long time now there was a late season archery draw from december 1st to december 6th they took that away like that's mm-hmm. like or december 10th sorry december 1st september 10th they took that away like, I don't really see that there being a lot of deer killed in that time with a bow, because I know a lot of guys don't hunt whitetails with a bow from December 1st to December 20th. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if we have a really hard winter, like a really hard winter, two years, like what just one, never mind back to back, which we've had, a lot of those mule deer are going to really struggle. They're going to get caught high up in the alpine if it's a quick snowstorm they're not going to be able to get down they're not going to be able to breed properly mm-hmm. um there a lot of them are going to die so then if you have your general regulations that haven't changed in forever and then we're facing you know for the five past five years three out of those five years have been really hard winters that are kill, decimating the mule deer population and then it's still open to this now you're still adding more roads more road deaths, like, yeah. it's just like everything's stacking against the numbers of mule deer. Yeah. So, like, in BC, I feel like they need to take a more proactive approach and kind of base it year by year like they do in Alberta.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, it's not instantaneous, but I think, too, like, for us, and probably isn't as bad in BC, but we're starting to see the impact of chronic wasting disease, coming mm-hmm. through the Saskatchewan border in that southern section in there um is that is that highly present in Milder south southeast it is yeah it is yeah
2: yeah, yeah how about whitetails
1: the whitetails more white whitetails or Parts, less than whitetails less than whitetail it's mostly really, yeah. and 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 that's the thing that's a that's just another thing on an already snowballing issue where mm-hmm. we do have a lot of takes being handed out I feel like maybe that's kind of their management on some of that to trying to manage that disease moving through. Um, I don't hunt in those areas. So I can't per se say, but like, I know my cousin, he shot a really big buck and he was clearly something was going on with him. Yeah. And I would say it was chronic wasting, just ribs showing. We're not even in rut yet. Like it's early season, like just opening, like it would still October, you know, that October 25th time frame. Um, or late October, and, like, opener, and he's got his ribs showing. He's got sores on his front legs, like, just not acting normal, chasing whitetail does, like, just something. Great buck, but clearly there's some mule deer health issues in, in Alberta. In some sections, it's worse than others. Some people argue, well, that's not – that's all conspiracy. That's not really playing an effect, but you you have roads – development industry take allocation hard winners or drought it goes both ways we'll get hit with a drought I, like there was drought potential going into this year um and then you got that hunting pressure and now you got chronic wasting even if it's like yeah. this amount of extra pressure it's you're going to see that in your numbers and oh, then two, sure. yeah and then two just like in in the area I primarily hunts like I will say like I want more opportunity obviously everyone wants more opportunity but I'd rather not hunt at all and shoot a 190 or a 200 inch deer than have the mule deer decimated because we're, we're allocating way too many tags.
2: Yeah and I think that's one thing like in BC we don't really have to. like I'm pretty much in the driest part of the province and like we still don't have to worry about water right there's still mm-hmm. creeks rivers but where you guys are yeah I, I guess drought is a real factor when you're when you're thinking about uh
1: mortality of mule deer yeah and you'll see it in the antler growth like one of my friends uh Levi from top notch everyone like every year like when I bring in my elk, I always ask what are you seeing like the guy's bringing in like what what are the what's the deer looking like like well some some and he'll tell me like oh it's really good this year you know it's the antler growth is down this this year versus other years or like some real monsters are coming in and um You know, it's just, it's just, there's so many factors and, and two, I've noticed, and I think this is playing a role into it. You'll see some of the topography slowly start to change over time, or some of the vegetation is changing. I don't know if it's drought or just like deciduous trees coming in. And you'll see that whitetail population start to creep in. And as soon as that occurs, they start kind of putting additional pressure on mule deer. And, and mule deer don't tend to do as well with human interaction. So then you have the human interaction, the pressure of hunting, and then that whitetail population is starting to move into there. And, and, and not with crazy big bucks either. You just see a ton of does start to put pressure into an area. Like I'd seen that in one of my main hunting areas. I just started seeing a ton of whitetail.
2: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And one thing about the whitetail is like mule deer, their diet is a lot, is a lot, more finicky than a whitetail diet, but mm-hmm. the whitetail love to eat mm-hmm. what the mule deer eat. So they'll go into an area and eat all that vegetation first. Yeah, and then after it's gone, they'll still be like, okay, well, I can still eat this, but I'm. Mean, it's like eating your dessert before you eat your dinner. Yeah. yeah, they're gonna go on there and be like, oh yeah, I want to eat this because it's it's better. Eat like for, for whatever reason, um they're just they have a you know a a, a bigger variety of diet than the mule deer. Mm-hmm. So they go into these areas and they eat all the vegetation that the mule deer depend on. And then the mule deer have no other option but to leave, right? Yeah. So we I see that all over. Like in areas where I used to see some good mule deer, and now I just see white tails. Like yeah. Yeah. and like just white tails. Like may like not great white tails, you know, not that's this this isn't yeah. the area where I'm going to hunt my white tail box, right? They're just there. And um, yeah, it's interesting. Pete, have you guys had any cases of CWD reported over that way because you're right along so Pete's right along the border of of BC
0: and Alberta not right along, but his his region is his own not right here, but it's getting damn close. I think just below the southern border, I think they had a confirmed case within it's within 60 or 70 kilometers of the border itself uh, that raised the, that was a couple two years ago, I think. That one was found. And then obviously they're watching the Alberta border on the Alberta side where it is confirmed. And it's getting close enough that they've extended the mandatory um, deer head program in four of 25 now, which extends. I mean, I think they've got it all the way from the U.S. border for whatever MUs are attached to the Alberta border all the way up to the edge of Kootenai National Park now which is where I am. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see it in the next year or so, uh, going from Invermere up to Golden, which kind of locks in that the national parks there too. Um, cause they're bordering kind of the, the Yoho and Kootenai park there. So mm-hmm. they're, they're prepping for it. I mean, they've got a drop box here in, in Invermere now for the heads. And is that be... for both species, Mueller and Whitetail? Yeah.
2: Like are they, are, is there, man, so there is mandatory, is it mandatory over there? Voluntary, yeah. I can't it, remember. Is no, it mandatory? it's mandatory now. On on bucks?
0: Yeah. Or all deer? Or is it mule deer I and am I'm, I'm pretty sure it's all bucks. Um, whitetail for sure. 100% I'll, I know that one. Yeah. Um, I'd have to look into the mule deer, but I'd be shocked if it wasn't mule deer as well. I think it, I think it's all deer.
2: So where was it? Because your region, region four, it borders three states, Washington, Utah, and Montana. Where was that one? Was it in Montana?
0: I can't remember. Just it was a couple of years ago. I can't remember if it was Montana or Washington there. I just I'm not hundred percent sure. I just heard it was just over the border. Like if it's there, it's like it's pretty much guaranteed. It's in my personal opinion, nothing official from anybody. In my contacts, but I would think that it's got to be in the Southern part of BC already. If it's that close to the U S border, those animals don't see lines. Mm-hmm. So I'd be, I'd be shocked if it wasn't in the, in the Southern tip of, of British Columbia already.
2: I wonder how far North, like in British Columbia, and I guess Alberta is the same, like how far North it'll go before you get to an area. Like once you start getting in Northern BC and I'm sure Alberta is the same, like the numbers, They just don't interact as much as they do down in the Southern part. Like you don't, you don't go into a field and see a hundred mule deer or a hundred whitetail, do you know what I mean? Like you just don't Mm -hmm. see that you might be see a mule deer or a whitetail.
0: Well, the part that really scares me is all the urban deer that we have along our valley here. Every town is inundated with deer all over their towns. So if it gets into the general population all those deer are going to spread it like wildfire. Well, and that's part of the false,
2: that's part of the false precipitation or precipitation, precipitation, perception of mule deer is like, when you talk to people about mule deer and I talk to like my neighbors and people at work and stuff and they're like, Oh yeah, mule deer. There's a lot of them. You're like, no, there's not. Like the numbers have gone down dramatically, but they see, all the urban deer and they're like, oh man, I see a deer every morning or I see three deer every morning driving to work. And like, well, you're Mm -hmm. seeing those same three deer or you're seeing maybe, you know, there's maybe six deer around your neighborhood and you're seeing them over and over and over. They just live there. they're residents they are like you, that's like seeing your neighbor. They're not going to go away. They're going to have kids. Those kids
0: are going to be there. Yeah. Right. So what I see happening potentially is if it got into the towns, the local populations would end up getting it. What we see happening is you always have your local bucks that born and raised never leaving town but you always get the ones that are sitting on the border of the towns and they don't actually live in town because after a while you get to know every single buck in town by their distinctive antlers or whatever and then all of a sudden you say did you guys see that freaking six by six that walked and be like there's no six by six in town here and you know it came you know it's coming in to check out to check out the ladies and stuff and see what's mm-hmm. going on in town. And now all of a sudden that deer is interacting with the, you know, the potentially infected deer. And now it's bringing it to the outskirts and mm-hmm. it's just, it's breeding grounds for, for that disease. And I, I don't know what the hell the province would do if, and when it gets in there. And I don't suppose it's going to be a good thing. Well, the problem with British
2: Columbia is though it'll be probably done 10 or 15 years too late. Like yes. they'll see it. It'll they'll see it and they'll say, well, we'll see what happens next year, or we'll see what happens in two years when the new regs come out. Yeah, and then we'll see, and then they'll <laughs> get in- input from hunters and biologists and not do anything about it. And by the time they go to do anything about it, it'll, it'll be too late. It'll be like the yeah. beetle kill getting into the pines or something like that, where they're like, oh, maybe we should have acted a little earlier. I mean, heaven forbid the gu- you know the ministry act act proactively rather than reactively. Yeah. But. Yeah. It's yeah. scary. Scary thought to think about. So, so what did you do with your, uh, with your moose buddy? Did you Euro it? Oh yeah. Yeah. Nice. That was a great. So your wife, she did a great job on your, uh,
1: Eastman stuff. Oh yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Incredible. Uh, got it all professionally framed and, yeah she said it took a couple tries just because of the way that they're framing it put shadow box in it. in i was even i had even told her i'm like oh i was thinking about what the heck i'm going to do with that but she did a great great job with it
0: incredible awesome. yeah, yeah. yeah it looks yeah. good
1: it's amazing yeah. real good
2: so what are you doing right now for to get ready for so do they have what do you what do you guys do for spring bear out there you guys get to bait which is super cool and i'm going to saskatchewan this year for my first ever
1: experience with baiting I'm pretty excited about it yeah spring bear it depends on the zone again it's specific it's a like grand prairie area and up um like i I'm, I'm sure there's a couple zones down south southern of that area but uh like that's open for down. bear or open baiting or is, Open for baiting, so the whole for province baiting. isn't isn't not that I'm aware of, no. Because in the south, oh. I can, not
0: yeah.
1: Oh, I okay. See, was. I was under the understanding <laughs> that all of Alberta you could bait for bears. I'm not Crazy. sure if that's it because I I haven't ever baited or sat bait in the southern areas. I think I I don't know if it's because of the hiking presence and the recreational in the southern areas, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's all spot and stock. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> cool. And the cool. ticks are horrific. Oh
2: man, those ticks! So, I sh- we should fact. get that tick man Dan on again. Like, this guy, oh man, uh, he was, yeah, we we had this guy, his name is Tick Man Dan. I think we'll get him on the show again, but like, he, like, I get like, I've I, I still don't really give a shit about ticks. Like, I've had I pulled ticks out of my shoulder once, and like, I I don't really care about him too much. I mean, obviously, I don't want to get Lyme disease. But it's just like I've accepted the fact that it's part of it. But, man, when he was like going over (laughs) stuff those fucking
0: little critters do, I was like, oh, yeah. Lyme disease. I don't want to get that one that makes you allergic to meat. Yeah. Yeah. So, And it's funny because
2: that was, I think it was two years ago that we had him on because, Pete, you just first jumped on the show. Yeah. And he was saying it's called the Lone Star Tick. And he was saying that he doesn't really think – it would ever do very well in Canada because of of our climate. But now there is known cases of the lone star tick in Ontario. And that's the, that's the tick that bites you and you become allergic to red meat. Yeah. Which is like the most like horrific, ironic thing that Mm can happen to a hunter. It's funny. I was telling my wife about that tick and like what it does. And she's like, Oh, was it invented by... Or was it created by (laughs) anti-hunters? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, pretty funny. Yeah. Um, Okay. I want to show one thing here because... So last episode... Was it last episode? Okay, it was the last episode Pete and I did. I was telling my story about um, my bow malfunctioning and I had to build... I had to use a ratchet strap to make a uh, bow vise. On the back of my truck because I, I didn't have anything so I'm gonna sh- I got a bunch of people messaged me and asked me how I did it so I'm gonna just do a quick video here and for the people listening you're gonna have to go to YouTube and check it out but I'm just gonna break it down so if anybody ever needs so I don't know if you guys ever seen these lighters I got my wife got me this for Christmas I'll show you it's got no flame you have to plug it in and charge it really yeah it's got a little U. it's it's battery charged super cool best thing ever So, just cut that. So, and then probably going to need it longer. So what I did was I brought my daughter's bow down here just because it will fit in the screen. Because my bow, it won't fit in the screen and you won't be able to see. You won't be able to see the whole bow and that kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah, these lighters are great. You buy them on Amazon. She bought me it for Christmas. So really cheap too. But they're you got to plug them in like they're rechargeable. But they're no flame. Super cool. Always work. So you just make two loops with whatever you got. In, I'll hold it to the camera so the guys can yep. see. I just made two loops with whatever. Like you should have some utility rope in your bag. So I just made two loops I'm going to move the the mic away and you guys are just going to have to watch people listening or people watching, I guess. So, and I'll do it. I'll try to do it. Where everybody can see. Not the easiest thing to do.
0: So you're just looping it through the axle there.
2: Okay, so what I did, I'll hold it up to the camera. I just looped that around the axle, right? Now, Mm -hmm. listen, I don't recommend doing this all the time, but when you're hunting and you have to do it, it works. The issue with this is it's pulling too much on one side of the axle. You're not getting even pressure on the limbs. So like I said, don't do this at home. Take your bow to a bow shop. I don't want to see a bunch of people sitting there pulling on reefing on and they ask Papa I would be like, fucking Kevin Joy told me to do this. <laughs> So then, what I did is I put the ratchet strap through the loops. Of course, I grabbed the one ratchet strap <laughs> that somebody has curved has through backwards. I have a million of these ra- I have a million of these ratchet straps and I grabbed their one.
0: Okay, I got a quick question for you. I can see how you've looped like put your yep. loops through yep. I'm more of a hands-on, hands-on person, so it's hard for me to tell. If you had enough rope or material there, could you make those loops bigger and put one on each side of the cam so that both sides of the axle are getting pulled, you know, relatively evenly?
2: Um, the only problem is, I got to move this mic closer to talk. If you did that, how would you strap, like, how would you use your ratchet strap? Well, that's, yeah. Without that's point. it getting I, caught. I can't. So this isn't very smooth. But anyway, you're going you're gonna to get the gist of it here. So see these ratchet straps. Uh, they ratchet you're supposed to go like this and for some reason i have a bunch of these for work the guys that at work one person in particular still hasn't seemed to figure out how to load them i to do it quickly here and i'm actually doing it it's taking actually taking longer Okay I better I better pull this all the way through so people can see. So there we go. That is how you you can hear it clicking. That's how you load a ratchet strap. anyway. So now you can see. How it is hooked up, and then all you do is I have to put it down. So there you go. Now you can see I can take the strings off. I could take the cables off if I have to. Good emergency situation. So like I said. I do not recommend doing this unless you absolutely need to. Now, when you're hunting, should happen. sometimes you need to. Now, some of the bows, they do come with a way, like the Matthews has that um, stay-of-field system. The only problem with that is if something happens to your cable, which like happened to mine, you can't do anything because it only allows you to change your string. And we've talked lots before about, put this down actually unload it first we talked lots about having an extra an extra bowstring in your bag in your in your backpack and the importance of that um but it's you know in my case what happened was the string splitter or the sorry the cable splitter broke had a crack in and i pulled it um, and so I had to, you know, do a makeshift and I needed to press the string because there's too much pressure on while I glued it back. And now if I would have had more serving, it probably would have been fine for that shot. But unfortunately, I didn't have enough serving. Now, since then, I have put a whole roll of serving string in my emergency kit that I carry in my bow. So but anyway, I just wanted to show that for the people listening, because last time we talked about it and then a bunch of people DM me asking me how in the hell. I did it with a vise. Now, I don't know what they said they were, They couldn't figure it out. So I'm hoping they weren't like clicking it on their cams and pulling and cause that's how you bend stuff. You don't want to put anything directly on your cams. And now the problem with that is obviously you're pulling on one side of the axle too much, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you're not getting even compression like you do with the bow vise on the limbs. So, but anyway, quick little tip for people, if you're in a pinch and you have access to a ratchet strap and you should have some sort of line, In your bag. Um, if you need it, there it is. Simple. Well, it's good good thing to learn. Yeah, for sure. So you got any plans
0: for the rest of the week, boys? Pete, you're all done your edition? No, well, final, it's all the it's all the minute stuff, all the trim stuff like that. Putting shelves back up, deciding what's getting thrown out. All the little stuff, but it's good everything's opened up down here so mostly that and back to the grind for getting that fishing forever program or event rolling here in a couple weeks so yeah i'll be busy with that how about you
1: Derek? well i gotta clean up my disaster in my garage still left over from hunting season just going through gear um gotta go through all my camouflage my kids stuff too go through it, pack it for more long-term storage for the kids. And then, uh, probably do like a, a, elk grind here, get all that done process. We just froze it cause we shot two of them. So we're just trying to get it out of the way, right? Frozen. So we'll probably end up doing that and then starting physiotherapy on Tuesday, just getting older and just having to address a couple issues from packing out and hiking lots and stuff, just, elbow issues actually my my right arm is an inch longer from shooting bow really so yeah so I got compression on your shoulder yeah or something's going on so uh, I have that I have to call like
2: I see a lot of physio my left shoulder my grip shoulder it always from like I mean you I don't let it compress I push it out but still right it makes those Mm -hmm. muscles makes those tendons and those muscles really stiff and they get really callous from having that having to do that all the time. I think it's in stalks
1: too. Like like my elbow from like I'm constantly because I have my bow in my left hand. So I'm constantly like crawling with my my right arm down. So you know you do that enough times. And I've noticed that I'll get like a a little bit of a issue from that from it's like planking essentially for long periods of time. So and then like uh, tennis elbow or uh, golf or Yeah, something like that. It's not really debilitating, but I just know like just from my career climbing for a living like you have to address stuff you can't let stuff get out of hand so yeah
2: i actually hired a running coach thought you'd like that pete because we've been i've noticed since my hip problem my gait got all fucked up and my foot i walk with my foot on a slight like a slightly to, to my toes point out in my stride mm-hmm. now yeah yeah just because I was walking, it was so uncomfortable, and that's how I was walking, and she just slowly. Then when it healed, I was doing the same thing. And now I so now I have to get my gait properly. But I figured it was, you know, I'm not getting any younger. I'm creeping up on Pete. Don't
0: oh, fuck off.
2: <laughs> You're the old man here. Okay, anyway. <laughs> I uh, you know I'm I'm not getting any younger and so like I don't it's funny when you get to like a certain age and like I can't remember how old you are Derek how old are you I'm, I just
1: turned 36 oh yeah, fuck so you, you're still a kid no, oh no, yeah I'm just so years, right? yeah <laughs> in no, comparison so, you, to so yeah <laughs> you got a we we got a few
2: years on you but anyone anyway, once you get to a certain point like when you're young and like in your 20s you're always like ah oh, fuck it next year right next year yeah, next yeah. year but once you get to a certain years you're like man like right now I'm 45 I feel like I only got like a few good years left do you know what I mean where it's like Mm -hmm. so I I don't really want to waste those so I figured yeah I I gotta and plus my son Wyatt he started running I got him into running last year but that fucker hasn't stopped Mm -hmm. and so he runs all the time now (laughs) and I'm like holy fuck like this kid's running like he's running like 10 miles in like 30 something minutes like incredible speed like his mile his miles per minute are, are insane
0: that's disgusting.
2: So I asked him and like, he didn't know for sure. So that was a guess. But so when he goes on his next run, because my daughter, when she goes to figure skating, he comes down, they have a quarter mile track and he just knows from the amount of time to amount of laps he does. So I'm going to set it up in time to see what his actual time is. But I started thinking, I'm like, holy fuck, man, this kid's going to start fucking beat me soon. i better, I got to stir up my game a bit. So I hired a running coach going to help me with, uh, just getting my me back into that motion where I don't get re-injured
1: because uh, I don't want to go through that again. That was fucking horrible. Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of exactly what I'm doing with this. It's I don't really have any issues right now, but I do know like I went from climbing every day, multiple times a day, being very like durable tough and then you get into a chair and i'm a supervisor for a couple of years now you start seeing those imbalances and where your yeah. your body's just holding on for dear life yeah. and then you get into that chair and you're like oh i've done any injuries i feel pretty good but then it's just like just yeah just doesn't like it it's just you, you start seeing atrophy and imbalances start to show up and wear and tear um so hopefully i'm trying to avoid some of this and and just, I had a little bit of patellar tendonitis and issues through a tough hunt in, uh, 2020, where it's just putting 30 K a day and it's snow terrain. And just, that just was causing this chronic swelling and issues. So, so that's usually what I do is like after the season, everything's all done. You're not you're usually pretty beat up by then I'll start, I'll, I'll kind of stop with weights a little bit, like I'll still hit weights a little bit, but I'll do more like band exercises, a lot more like range of motion stuff flexibility stuff trying to figure out like okay like do i have an imbalance now from all this hiking and and packing around bags and stuff like that and and you're you're out of motion for your shooting too right so you know just getting back slowly ramping everything back up to what it was so that you're not weaning an injury and then uh, not addressing and then
0: going into the next season kind of with a issue right yeah. yeah, I, so, I got to agree like I do the weights and stuff and I enjoy the weights, but it's actually the stretching I find yeah makes me feel way better than anything else just cuz yeah, it's you're not getting bound up and then overcompensating for that as you're going along. Well, it's p- awesome for especially like to do what we all love to do. It's great
2: for injury prevention because when you're hiking out Hiking around, you got weight on your back. And if you slip yeah. and fall and you have to hyperextend, if you're not flexible, that's when you tear and pull stuff. Yeah. If you're mm-hmm. flexible and you're used to that motion, you're know you're, you're going to be able to bend through it and you're not going to get injured. Um, so that's really important. But uh, yeah, I was having some I, ongoing shoulder pain and it was really affecting my shooting and my grouping. And it, you know, it's starting, I was down, we've been working with Sean lots and like we started working on stuff to fix it and it's starting to feel better. And instantly I noticed like just my grouping and just like feeling back to feeling comfortable in my shot. Cause it felt like I was always avoiding us, you know, avoiding it a little bit. Right. Mm-hmm. And then obviously it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna have value in your, in your shot performance for sure. Anyway, guys, you know uh, I'm pretty excited to have you on the show, Derek. Um, yeah, thanks. Thanks thanks for joining Absolutely. the team here. And uh, for the listeners, yeah, we're going to cover a lot of stuff. We're going to try to get into a lot of stuff in Alberta. Still, we're going to be covering the stuff in British Columbia and, and Saskatchewan. So we're going to kind of be more versed on what's going on in Western Canada. So it's going to be pretty exciting.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. thanks for inviting me to the team. Hopefully I can bring uh, just the Alberta specific stuff and even just like I'm pretty well versed with long range and rifle and reloading and all that too. Um, hopefully I can add to the podcast and some knowledge based on that.
2: Yeah, I think so too. And I think awesome. we're going to, we're going to cover more of that this year rather than just, and not that we're going to be shying away from the bow stuff. We're still going to be covering that heavily, but uh, you know, just being more versed on, 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 the rifle stuff too. Cause I know there's a lot of guys listening that, that, you know, they do yeah. rifle hunt, which is what great. You Okay guys. Thanks again. We'll chat later. Thank you. He's taking a drink. He's probably got Bailey's and that stuff there. Oh, fuck. Okay. I'm out of Bailey's, I wish. <laughs>